In 2012, Disney purchased Lucasfilm for $4 billion, and the world as we knew it was changed. Although, this wasn't Disney's first foray into the Star Wars intellectual property. On this episode, we discuss Disney Parks' relationship with Star Wars. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to an episode where we're talking all about Star Wars in the Disney parks. And this is going to be a fun episode. I'm hoping that at some point we can get Charlotte to do her Mickey Mouse impression because she has a really good one. I can't so, believe you brought that up. <laughs> I did. I did. Keep your fingers crossed, listeners. <laughs> Maybe by the end, she'll be warmed up enough to do it. Um, it's, it's eerily good. I'm, I'm not lying to you, listeners. I don't, what if it doesn't come across on the microphone, Caitlin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just letting down all these people. <laughs> by the end of the episode, listeners, keep your fingers crossed. Either way, I can vouch. I'm, I'm not lying to you. In real life, it's spot on. <laughs> it really – if it doesn't come across that way, like if she does it and you hear it in your headphones and you're like, well, that stinks, then it's an audio problem. I promise you because in real life, it's real good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Fine. Maybe by the end of the episode. I'll reward you guys at the end of the episode. <laughs> Okay, so we are talking about Disney and Star Wars today, which are two topics that are very near and dear to our hearts. But before we get started, we have a special announcement that we've already kind of announced. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But we've never announced it in the announcement section of the show. But Charlotte and I have been selected to be on the podcast stage at Star Wars Celebration Chicago coming up in nine and a half weeks. And... (laughs) I remember when we were writing the application and I was like, there's no way that we get this. Yeah, it was not going to (laughs) happen. I remember we talked for like a month about like, well, should we even try applying? Maybe the next year. Maybe. And then we actually applied and then we actually got it. It's it's really exciting. I'm so grateful and so thankful, mm-hmm. but I'm super nervous. And yeah. obviously, once we have more details, like they just announced the podcasts that are going to be a part of it, and I'll mm-hmm. link it below. Um, <laughs> link it below, like this is a YouTube video. I'll put it in the we show don't do notes. That. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. And um, but we don't have any sort of they haven't released a celebration schedule yet. But as mm-hmm. soon as we know, we'll let you guys all know when that will be. Yes, and if you're going to be at Star Wars Celebration, um, we're thinking about doing a meetup possibly. So if that's something you'd be interested in coming to, um, you got to let us know. Um, Charlotte and I are sensitive people, so if we hosted a meetup and no one came, <laughs> we'd be really <laughs> So we want to make sure there's actually interest. And if you're not interested in meeting us, that's totally cool. We'll find something else to do. We just don't want to show up at a party that no one comes to. <laughs> so- we're sensitive people. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are, though. <laughs> um, so if you would be interested in having a meetup to come and see us and other people who listen to the show and love Star Wars, we would love to meet you guys. Um, so let us know if you are interested in that because 
like I said, we're nine and a half weeks out. So it's like time to start, you know, setting some concrete things in. <laughs> and thinking about things. Yeah. We're making some special celebration swag. Like it's yes. happening um, to be announced what that looks like. <laughs> but it is happening. <laughs> There's a lot of question marks in this. It'll all come together, guys. It will. The, the thing, the the thing to note is, we did make the podcast stage, and yes. we're really excited. We like, are really, really excited. excited. It's, oh, I mean, we made it through two panels at Dragon Con, and <laughs> neither one of us passed out or anything. So hopefully, <laughs> things go well. It came really close, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. uh Anyway, <laughs> that's really exciting. I hope you guys are coming to Star Wars Celebration. If not, Charlotte and I have spent many a Star Wars Celebration just watching the live stream, and that's really fun too. Like the live I, stream is awesome. The, li- the, the live is, stream is really fun. The thing is, I we're going to try our best. Caitlin and I were just talking about this. We're going to try our best to try to do the daily podcast uploads. We're going to try. We'll see how far we get. But we'll definitely upload the audio from our podcast panel the day mm-hmm. we have it. And we're yeah. going to make make sure that we do that because you guys have asked us and um, we'll make sure that that is done. Yeah. If you guys have a format of like how you like to see content, if you're if you're not going to celebration and you have a way that you like to get celebration content, um, you should let us know because we're still kind of deciding what we're going to do. We've talked about doing the daily v- not daily vlog, but like the daily upload thing. Um, last time we went to celebration, we like recorded clips from every day and then put them all together into one episode that was released afterwards. So you guys let us know what you like. Right now we're kind of leaning towards a daily upload if we can. Um, but if you're like, no, that's too much. I don't like hearing you guys that much. Just <laughs> let us know. <laughs> okay. Don't really let us know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just let us know that you prefer the ones, the, like the one big episode. I don't know or, what I'm Or a littler ones. I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I, I think that we'll probably try to do the live. Yeah, the I live think we will um, Just because it, it does seem like a lot of information is going to come out um, from – yeah, exactly. So we'll see how it all goes down. Yeah. But today's episode is all about Disney parks. And Charlotte and I are really big Disney fans in general. And Charlotte in particular is a really big like theme park connoisseur with an emphasis on Disney. I am. I love theme parks, guys. I love Disney theme parks. I could watch hours and do. Like, I think this is the most YouTube I watch. Hours of, like, mm-hmm. really excruciating, excruciatingly boring um, content about behind-the-scenes Disney, like, processes, um, everything that has to do with the theme parks. Um, I, I love it all. <laughs> I yeah. really do. So it's it's really – I was really excited that we have been wanting to talk about Star Wars and Disney parks for so long and couldn't really figure out, like, how we wanted to do it. So we're just going to dive right in and talk about, mm-hmm. you know, basically everything that's relevant right now. Yeah. Um, and all right. So this is how – let's just, like, go ahead and go for it. So in part one, we're going to talk about the history of Star Tours. And in part two, we're going to talk about Star Wars Weekends, or as we call it, Sweetends. <laughs> and in part three, we're going to be talking about Galaxy's Edge. So without further ado, let's get started. Star Tours announces the arrival of the Endor Express. So welcome to part one, where we're going to be discussing the history of Star Tours, which is the main ride that is Star Wars themed in all of Disney parks at this point. 
So just to kind of back it up, <laughs> on a previous episode in our By George series, we did talk about Captain EO and George Lucas's relationship with Disney and how it was forged and started then. And that was back in 1986. And Captain EO was a video. If you haven't listened to that episode, um, I, we love our By George series because we do reference it a lot. So if you guys want to go listen to that, it's three parts all about George Lucas. Um, but the George, so George, um, really got involved in Disney when Disney approached that approached him to produce a video, um, a like a 3D experience called Captain EO with Michael Jackson. So that was when the Disney Disney parks really got involved with George Lucas, and it was then that the talks kind of began to bring Star Wars into the Disney parks. And this was a really big deal. And I know that like maybe people don't really realize this because of the fact that Harry Potter, Harry Potter world is so big right now in Universal and even things like Universal existing. I I feel like this was the first time that uh, intellectual property outside of the Disney company, outside of the Disney umbrella was brought into the Disney parks. And it was a big deal. Like, it, it's kind of hard to imagine, but there's something that's, like, kind of sacred about Disneyland and how it was started in, you know, the 50s, Walt Disney's vision and keeping it, you know, accessible for children but accessible for parents. And um, and it was all, like, original attractions. And that's something that I really, like, I mentioned that I love watching those deep dive videos. And that's something that I, I love about it. I love these original attractions and even things like Pirates of the Caribbean, which is now, a you know, a film franchise. But that started as an original ride. And um, just so much innovation has come out of Disney parks in the past. And Star Tours really was no exception to that as it was um, the f- like one of the first, like, motion simulator rides in, like, a major theme park. Um and so basically Star Tours, if you guys haven't been, Star Tours is a motion simulator that is themed around taking you to Endor. And of course, <laughs> things go wrong and you end up on the Death Star and it's a really fun ride, but it's in a motion simulator and basically you are just kind of like rocked around a bunch <laughs> and it makes you feel like you're moving instead of like basically staying in the same place the entire time. Right, Kayla? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this whole concept, and while it has been duplicated throughout Disney parks and not just in Florida or in Orlando, but also around the world, um, this was kind of one of the first ones of their kind. And Disney actually purchased these military-grade simulators for $500,000 each, and they got four. And it was one of the first like storytelling thrill rides, which is interesting because I mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean. And Pirates of the Caribbean really does tell a story. It's a slow-moving boat ride that tells a story of you know pirates pillaging this town. Um, and other examples of like storytelling rides, I guess like it's a small world is a good example that maybe you could think of, where you start your journey and you go through all these different like countries and um continents and you're you're going on a journey of like <laughs> celebration of how we're all connected right mm-hmm. um and i think this was the first time that um there was like a thrill aspect to the storytelling where you think about how the space mountain was a thing right but there's no real storytelling aspect to space mountain right mm-hmm. like if you really think about it you're you're just getting on a roller coaster that's themed space in the dark but with star tours there's this whole story um there is you're getting on these 
you're getting on a little tourism <laughs> journey to go to Endor to, you know, check it out. And uh, things go awry, like I said, but this was kind of a big deal. And not only was it a big deal to bring in a different intellectual property into Disney, which if you remember, like Disney didn't own Star Wars at this point at all, but also um, it was a big deal to have this thrill element as well. Yeah, I think kind of going back, it's kind of crazy that Star Wars was even brought in. Mm -hmm. Um, because what you're talking about, like Disney is so sacred and Disneyland is so sacred. And it's something that we've even had conversations of recently in the Disney world, like with, um, how they changed Tower of Terror to Guardians of the Galaxy themed Mm -hmm. in In Disneyland. And then, um, you know, like the, the Pandora land in Disney world was a big deal too, when they were like bringing these things in And, and especially Disneyland it is like so sacred. Like I think we've all seen, or if you have any kind of interest in this kind of history, you've seen those um, videos of Walt Disney, like in his office with like the model of Disneyland before it opens. And you see like the Tinkerbell animation, like flying around and you have like this image of what Disneyland conveys. But I don't think anyone was ever like anyone ever has ever had a problem in recent memory of like Star Wars being a part of that. You know what I mean? Like Galaxy's Edge is a big deal, but I don't remember it being like controversial in the same way that like Guardians of the Galaxy Tower of Terror was controversial. Oh, girlfriend. You don't know the Disney Parks fandom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is pretty Reddit blogs <laughs> of, of Disney Parks. And we'll talk about this when we get to the Galaxy's Edge section. But okay. yes, it is super controversial to bring in an intellectual property that's not like personally Disneyland and Disney Imagineering developed like from like zero basically. Okay. So is Disney oh, – I'll wait till the night – till the later section. <laughs> um, okay. But well then let's just like ixnay everything I just said. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> I'm wrong. Um, but I think it is worth mentioning that George Lucas has always been a huge Disney fan. And so if there was oh, yeah. any park, any theme park that was going to – have something Star Wars in it, it was going to be Disney. And that's why it like made complete sense when he eventually sold it, uh, when he sold Disney, when he sold Star Wars to Disney in 2012. Um, all of that groundwork was kind of laid already. And you should definitely go and watch Captain EO if you haven't, <laughs> because that ish is bananas. Um, and I just, <laughs> I, the only thing I can think of when I think of Captain EO. And when we did our By George series last summer, that was the first time I'd ever watched it. Um, So that was an experience. And uh, (laughs) I can only ever think of Michael Jackson shouting that, like, tiny creature's name, like, Hooter? Hooter! (laughs) Hooter! Just the way he says it is so funny. Um, Hooter! (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) What are those? Um, (laughs) I hate me. (laughs) Um, So yeah, but I and then kind of going off what you were saying about the like thrill ride aspect, like Star Tours was, if I'm getting what you're saying correct, it was like the first like thrill ride. Like you had Pirates of the Caribbean and you had a small world, um, or it's a small world, but they weren't like it's a slow moving boat ride. So there's nothing like you've got some cannon fire in the Pirates ride, but it's not. Well, 
Uh, you're, mm, I wouldn't say that. So Disneyland had the Matterhorn, which is a great roller coaster. Star Tours exist. Uh, no, well, I mean, uh, like, Space Mountain existed. As like a story, like a real with a storytelling, story like a real yes. storytelling thrill element. Because of what you're saying is like you've got the story that's in Pirates, but it's like so slow moving, and you're kind of just like looking at all of this stuff that I don't know if like every person going through is like, okay, you know, like here's where we're tracking in this story, um, like it. It's not as like beginning, middle, and end, I guess, mm-hmm. of like a right. where Star Tours really is. And not only that, but it's, you know, it's adventure, it's thrill, it's um, danger, you're on the Death Star. Whereas there's not really that element in a ride like Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. And like, in like true George fashion, of course, it's like super groundbreaking that we're like blending both of these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just before we glaze over that, it should be noted that George Lucas was actually there on the opening day of Disneyland, you know, the first Disney park. Mm-hmm. So he's always been, and we've said this before, like truly like intrinsic, intrinsically linked to Disney. So this all makes sense that, you know, he'd have an involvement. And of course, he'd be interested in pursuing the avenue for storytelling. Um, which I think is a really fascinating way to think about it is the how, and I think this is true about George Lucas and his work is like, he's always looking for a way he, he was always looking for ways to tell more stories. And this is another one. And I think that he thought it was just really fun too. Cause it is really fun. Oh yeah. It's super fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's super fun. It's one of those first instances of really like being in the Star Wars world, but like away from the main story. Mm-hmm. Which we we talk about that quite a bit on the show, like you know the main saga versus you know anthology films or TV shows, and Star Wars is kind of like one of the first forays into that idea because George was always wanting to tell stories. Yeah, it was like it's it's a different form of the expanded universe. Yeah, exactly. Like, not not the EU in the way that we think about the EU, but like it, it was different. It was a different way to like live through your you know your Star Wars stories. Like if you really think about it, if this was developed in 1986, this was the first continuation of like the Star Wars trilogy. You know, the trilogy was over. It was not going to be you know touched again. Apparently, right? But here we have you know George Lucas making like this this amazing attraction in Disneyland and, and eventually in Disney World as well. Um, the cool thing about the attraction too was that it was um, filmed with ILM. Like ILM worked on it. Dennis Murin filmed on 77 millimeter print. Um, I don't know. I just think it's really cool. They even use the same, there's a Death Star element and they even use the same sets that they had used before, like the same technique of dropping, you know, the camera to go into the trenches and the tunnels. Um, it's super cool to me that like that there's that kind of um, continuity. Con- yes. Continuity is the right word, but it's a little confusing. Yeah. Because then it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's that consistency of production. <laughs> Yeah. Is that a good phrase yes. to use here? Um, yes, good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it just – it, like, set the bar for things that mm-hmm. would come down the line because not only not only is this attraction in Disney, which already had a reputation at this point, but then you're bringing in Star Wars, which, of course, was just – I mean, even though this is three years out of, you know, Return of the Jedi, um, it's like the Star Wars – fan fandom is still pretty strong at this point it's only like in the next couple of years that it's going to start to really 
die down. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I think it just speaks yeah. like volumes about like George's commitment to this world. You know, like like directors and stuff nowadays always say stuff like, oh, we're just getting to play in George's sandbox. You know, mm-hmm. that like great saying, the sandbox of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and this, I feel like this ride was like George playing in his own sandbox. <laughs> right. And like he he really wanted to be goofy. Like the original story had, you know, a traveler go on excursion to Endor, like I mentioned. And it was led by Captain Rex, which like shouldn't be confused with Rex from Clone Wars at all. They're just like nope. totally separate characters. Very separate. But um is it's voiced by Pee Wee Herman. And George was like particularly adamant that this droid had never left like the planet that they are on. They've never been into space at all. And it was like their first flight. Do you remember that? Like yeah. I can't even remember. Guys <laughs> We'll talk about our own experience with Star Tours and everything, but I, like I said, huge Disney Parks fan. I memorized the words. Like, I knew everything. And I can just imagine, I can really hear Rex in his, like, really high voice being like, oh, it's your first trip. Mine too. Mine too. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone's like, ha, 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 (laughs) without fail. So... (laughs) (laughs) so I just I really like that George was like super adamant that there was like this goofy element and I think this was like the beginning I think he had kids and it was really his beginning of like (laughs) this is really fun you know it it would be really funny if you know they got into like a bunch of hijinks because this this droid had never even flown really before yeah well the the Star Wars is set in a galaxy far far away and is really built on like travel between planets and intergalactic warfare and then you have this Stinky droid who's never been in the galaxy. <laughs> He's always <laughs> been planet side. Um, it is really fun, and, and of course, it goes back to to George's whole thing with Star Wars is that it, Star Wars is for young people, and so it should be fun. And Star Tours really is like the the apex of that idea. I think mm-hmm. like all of the elements that are in it. Not only having this adventure, but you've got like new technology you've got attention to detail you but you've also got the fun side of it and it's for kids too and like kids can ride it as well you know it's not like a roller coaster where you have to be yeah you know like however tall you have to be to get on a roller coaster it's accessible for most people yeah like I feel like I oversold the fact that it was a thrill ride like it's really it's not necessarily a thrill ride like there's no bars there's only a seat belt and I because of that I think the height requirement is pretty um low and because of that, it was, like, actually one of my first thrill rides. And let's talk about our memories with Star Tours. Star Tours is so fun, though, even if it's not, you know, rock and roller coaster tower. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's for really sure. It's fun. Yeah. Um, what was the first time you can remember going I on Star Tours? I don't know, actually. Like, my earliest memories of Star Tours are with you. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure that I went on it before then. Um, so Charlotte and I, if you don't know, we lived in – we grew up in Georgia, so very close to Florida. And – Charlotte's had family in Florida, so you guys were down there a lot. I had family that lived like 30, 40 minutes from Orlando. Um, My grandparents had a house down there. And so my family would take day trips to Disney all the time growing up. When we were at my grandparents' house, we would just go. But my dad loved Epcot, so we were always at Epcot. That was his favorite park. Um, And, you know, my sister and mom and I at the time didn't really like roller coasters um, so we never really went to like Hollywood Studios because Rock and Roller Coaster, Tower of Terror, that just like wouldn't have flown with 
three out of the four of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we were at Epcot a lot, but we did do like we had Disney trips where we went to like all of the other parks. But I really don't remember riding Star Tours before like you and I started going together. Mm-hmm. I it's, it's funny because like now Disney is like astronomically expensive. It's a ridiculous amount of ticket prices. But when we were younger, mm-hmm. it was like $35 to $45 a day, which is like insane to even think about. And that wasn't even that long yeah. ago. That was like 10 years ago. Yeah. And I I remember clearly when I was like seven and I really didn't like roller coasters and I didn't really like – I don't know. my All my older cousins were kind of going on those bigger rides and I was always afraid. But my first like – big thrill ride in Hollywood Studios, which is, like you said, a park that we didn't go to a lot because it had the big thrill rides. And it was kind of known as that, like the big kids park. Back when it was MGM. Yeah, back when it was MGM. It's kind of hard for me to like go back and to slip back into calling it MGM instead of Hollywood <laughs> Studios. But it's funny because I, re- I think besides like being kind of not being able to con- <laughs> take uh, – the Phantom Menace when I was in the movie theater when I was like six or five and it was just being too loud. Star Tours was like, I was, oh my God, Star Wars is so scary. I don't know if I can do that, but it was fun to go on. I remember being like, oh my God, that was so fun. Let's do it again. And yeah, because of that, I always think like, was Star Tours like actually my first experience with Star Wars? Like was Star Tours like my mm. gateway drug into Star Wars? And I think the answer is like simply yes, even though it's not like it hooked me to like want to see the other movies because that didn't come until later. But yeah. it, it it really was like, oh, I'm now familiar with this like this intellectual property. <laughs> it's so like businessy, mm-hmm. but like it was I was suddenly we all probably all were like really suddenly very familiar with how this galaxy worked and how what Star Wars even was. Yeah. What I think is great about Star Tours and something I do kind of remember is like walking around it. Yeah. Even like without you and just like when I was younger and the few times we did go to MGM, like seeing like AT-AT outside and like all of the trees, like it, it makes a statement. You know, it's really cool. It invites you in. What it always did remind me of is the E.T. ride in Universal. Mm. Because um, the E.T. ride in Universal, you walk through a forest too. And we also did like a lot of like day trips to Universal growing up and the E.T. ride was one that I could ride. Um, you know, it's low impact, <laughs> not scary. <laughs> um, but I remember – I do now that we've been talking about it, like I do remember making that connection between those two rides and like walking past the Star Tours ride or maybe possibly – even. Yeah, like being in line for it, but I, I don't really remember. But you and I, I mean, when we started going to Disney together was like when I w- had become a Star Wars fan. And so it was like a big deal to like get to MGM and be like, the Star Wars ride. I know. It's it's so fun. It's like when you're a fan, you're like, man, there's something that like is representative of my fandom here and I get to experience mm-hmm. it and live it and be a part of it. It was so fun. And the one in – it's funny because we're both talking about Disney World, but the one in Disneyland doesn't have um, – they. I don't think it has the ATAT. I think it might have an X-Wing. I don't – I think I'm confusing it with the one in Disneyland Paris, but – um, it's it's in Tomorrowland in like the uh, main park in Disneyland. Mm. So it is kind of like blended in with the surroundings there. It doesn't necessarily have that. Um, it, the Ewok Village is built out in Disney World and it's super cool. <laughs> 
Yeah. And um, I, it's got that awful, not the, it has a cool speeder bike across from it. <laughs> we have an awful picture on the speeder No bike. one looks good on that speeder bike except for like kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we looked really bad. Yeah, we really did. <laughs> but when Caitlin and I like went to Disney World as fans together in and oh, I also forgot to mention the the shop at the end of the ride is like doing traders. it's so hard to like even consider the fact that there was a point in life where you couldn't like walk into a store and find something that was branded Star Wars, but there were some like times where that didn't really exist and yeah and particularly caitlin and i's like height of our fandom which was after revenge of the Sith, when everything was like dying down and it was like that was the only place you could really like get a really good selection of star wars merchandise Mm -hmm. and man i still have my little like stuffed ewok from there it's just so fun Yeah, we have um, – I mean, when we first went, because we stayed with your mom for like three days or something, and I feel like we were – one, we wanted to go to MGM every day so that we could go on Star Tours. And it was – I remember like constantly being like, we should get this. We should get this. Oh, my God. Look at this. Because, you know, as 12, 13-year-old to – yeah, we had internet, but like we certainly weren't buying things on the internet yet. Mm-hmm. Um, or like even really knowing where to look for Star Wars stuff, like tattooing traders was where you had to go. I know it's just so funny, even the about that. It was so great. It was so fun, and it was. Fun. They also had this like photo. Oh, you're going there. Oh yeah, I'm going, you're going there. there. I'm. I'm. I don't even know where is that photo. I don't even know. They have this. I know. <laughs> they have this photo. It's not there anymore. They like recently closed it. They have this photo thing where you like they take away your face, so it's like. The one that I remember cr- correctly um, and, like, clearly is Attack of the Clones. They had the Attack of the Clones, like, people. So it was Anakin and Padme on Genosis. They, like, remove the face and you can get in the photo. They take your photo and then they replace Anakin's face with your face or Padme's face with your face. So cringy. So cringy. Caitlin and I both so did cringy. it. I did Padme and Anakin. You did that one. <laughs> yeah, I did that one. I did. Mine was A New Hope. I became Leia. It was like suddenly we were like, oh my God, we have to do that. We have to be part. Of- it's just so funny. It's like our psyche is like, we have to be part of the universe. Like that would be so fun. And it was like so ugly. It's so bad. Yeah. It, <laughs> oh, it's. I think even at the time we were both like, this is bad. And like <laughs> we put were. it in a drawer. We I don't think we ever displayed them. Um, I still have mine, but it is, it's never been out of the drawer. <laughs> it was super cringy and again that was like that time when it was like oh charlotte really like charlotte loved like the prequels are charlotte's favorite and the original trilogy is my favorite and that's like how we always split up things as well so like you did a prequel picture i did an original trilogy picture like (laughs) it's just how things were done like if we got stuff like i usually got like a luke something and then usually got like an anakin or padme something it was i don't know it was funny how we felt that we needed like we to had like that. ownership over our trilogies it's yeah really yeah exactly it was it was bizarre well, it's funny because it's like you think back about those times and we were like 12 and 13 like we we're like crafting our personalities and it was like yeah how do we express ourselves i guess this is how we express ourselves yeah i guess i and i remember i got like a um like a sign that said luke skywalker that like sat in my desk for like probably eight to ten years. <laughs> I have I have a street sign from that trip that I bought that was like yeah. Ewok Village Lane. It's still, yeah, that's what mine is. It's Luke Skywalker though. Is, so yours is literally just Luke Skywalker 
road. I don't. I don't know what it's. I don't. It was, <laughs> or does it just say know. Luke it Skywalker? Like, it's a street. It sign. might just say Luke Skywalker. Do you still have <laughs> it? It is a street sign. I don't know. I'd have to look for it. Um, Wait, I'm sad if you threw it away. I don't know. It, it's probably hidden somewhere. Yeah. It might be like on the very top of my desk. I'm not like a big collector of things. Like I don't have like a lot of Star Wars figures and stuff like that. Um, so I remember at one point I was like, this is too much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> I just like completely like taken over my desk with Star Wars stuff. Um, but that trip, that very – so what Charles and I are talking about is kind of our first trip where we spent – a lot of time and a lot of our parents' money <laughs> in tattooing traders, <laughs> which is not great, but you know, it's what we did. Um, but it was that trip that you lost your camera. Yes, you I wanted you camera. to tell the story. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is like this trip was actually like Charlotte and I's first trip together, right? Uh, probably. Probably. I think it was. Because I was in it was Christmas break and I was at my grandparents' house, and I met you, remember? Yeah. Like, my parents dropped me off at Disney World <laughs> with you and your mom. Um, but we went and rode Star Tours, and they had, like, this, like, long winding path to get out, and we're, like, walking around tattooing traders, and Charlotte realizes that she's lost her digital camera. And, you know, in 2006, a digital camera is, like, a hot commodity. Not even that. Guys, I love my cameras. Love to take photos. It was, like, my thing. Yeah. It was. It was. Um, and it was a big deal. And you, you like, freaked out. <laughs> and your mom was like, it's fine. It's fine. And, was, and then me, I was like, I got this. And I, like, re- this is the first instance of walking confidently, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if you know our celebration and our Dragon Con stories, walking confidently will get you places. This is where it comes from, <laughs> is this moment. I went backwards through the ride. I snuck back into our, like – module and I found our seats and the camera was under the seat and I got in, I got out before anyone knew I was there (laughs) and before the next ride came in, like I was walking out as the doors were opening. It was very much, you know, like Indiana Jones pulling the hat out from the door before it closes. It was like that kind of moment. The drama was there and I brought it back and I was the hero for the day. (laughs) Caitlin confidently walked onto the $500,000 military grade simulator Grabbed my $45 camera <laughs> before the people had even left. It was so good. I was like, it was so this clutch. is what having a best friend is. When she came back, I was like, this is so, I'm still like, I still think about how nice that was where like she, I love when people like snap into action and like do something rather than like stand around and talk about it. And that was like, yes, <laughs> she did it. <laughs> I'm surprised your mom let me. I, maybe I didn't I say you where just I left. Was going. I remember like turning around. And you were gone. <laughs> I know where it is. <laughs> I'll get it. Because <laughs> I can't envision your mom being like, "Yes, small Caitlin, go back into the ride where you could get in trouble and potentially get kicked out." Mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe your mom would have gone. Yeah, that's, that's what would have happened. Your mom would have gone. But <laughs> so funny so funny it was a good moment i'm like particularly proud of that moment <laughs> that was a but good walk moment. confidently guys walk confidently yeah star tours is i like I, I loved it it also like we'll talk about its version two but it wasn't in 3d then the video like had kind of seen its age by this point mm-hmm. like we were holding on to it because it was like the salvage of the original trilogy like it was the only star wars that we were getting in 
you know, the parks at this point and the, the shop was so great. You know, everything about it was really fun. <laughs> um, but in 2010, it was totally refreshed. And um, the new version of Star Tours is like so amazing. Right, Kaylin? Like it's truly I'm so happy that they updated it. But mm-hmm. in 2010, when the prequels had all come out and Disney was still trying to get, like, mileage out of the staple attraction, they decided to update it so that they'd use um, the 3D – they'd use 3D glasses and 3D filming technology, which obviously, if we're talking about George Lucas, like, that was something that was kind of on the forefront. I think at this time they were also developing the 3D films, which we know only The Phantom Menace came back into theaters as the 3D film. Um, but I know <laughs> Keelan like chokes on her. <laughs> I still, oh God, I'm still like, I just really want to see Star Wars again in the theater. So I do hope that someday those come back. But, um, basically the cool thing about the new version of Star Tours is that there's 18 different, um, random segments. So you, every time you get on it, it's the same thing. It's the same flight simulator, but instead of Rex, you know, the Pee Wee Herman voice, you have C-3PO and it's like a physical, like really shiny C-3PO. And, um, everything that you, every time you go on Star Tours, you will get a different version and it's really cool. So there's four opening segments, four primary destination segments, six hologram message segments, four ending destination segments. And all of those, if you like make the permutation, they allow for 384 different possible ride experiences. So before like 1987 through like 2010, we were watching the same thing over and over again of this like kind of like dusty. I remember even the projector of the film being like kind of dusty and not good and people talking about the condition of the ride and everything but now they totally spiffed it up and made a much better ride and to this point like they're still updating it per movie and adding new segments which is really really cool Mm -hmm. and this is something that like they had done before in the parks like they have having a ride that has different segments allows for guests and repeat repeat guests to want to continue to come back it's like an amazing cash cow for everyone, oh, yeah. right? In in you've got the rebel spy whole oh, yes. storyline too. Oh yes, I actually forgot to even I forgot about that. So like, Caitlin, why don't you talk about the rebel spy? The rebel spy is. <laughs> Are you telling me that because I have Niku? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, but you just brought it up. <laughs> So the Rebel Spy, it basically becomes interactive. Like, you've got a whole other element because, I mean, like, what you were talking about with the fact that, you know, it you get a new experience every time. And as people who are hardcore Star Wars fans, it's like you want to see these different iterations of the ride itself. But then you add in this whole other layer that you could be the Rebel Spy. And basically, they, like, photograph the audience and pick someone to be the Rebel Spy. And your face gets shown on the screen. You can buy a T-shirt. Um it's like a rite of passage and the empire will come after you. It's like the whole story element of the entire yeah. ride now is Star Tours now has a rebel spy on it's on board. And so you have to get away from the empire or whatever. There's like because mm-hmm. last. OK, so the previous Star Tours was like somewhat canon compliant, like it was supposed to take place after um, Reven- uh, Return of the Jedi 
but it was a little confusing because there's another Death Star, <laughs> which is like super weird. But so in the in the original one, and it was funny because I always was like, I can't believe they're just doing this another Death Star. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but I did find in my research that um, Leland Chi later in 2013 said that it was. This is I'm reading it straight from it. It said that the Death Star 3 was a habitation sphere disguised as the Death Star in a plot by an Imperial warlord to distract the New Republic. Oh, wow. if you wanted to, like, slot it into canon, I guess you could do that. But that is, like, one huge simulation. That's pretty cool. Like, you do want to find it somewhat canon compliant. But the new Star Tours is more canon compliant in the fact that it shows... The, the best part about the new Star Tours, like for me, I remember watch, writing it for the first time and being like, finally, we get like some serious prequel representation here. Like mm-hmm. there's there's so many good sequences. There's a really amazing, I think my favorite sequence is the Naboo sequence. And um, there's yeah. like some really awesome like 3D elements. There's some gun guns. Um, it's really good. I think that one is my favorite. And I don't think I've gotten all of them either. But now they're continuously updating it. Like I think that there's a there was a crate sequence before there was a they added um john boyega to be a part of it as well and super fun it's really great it is really great i mean i haven't ridden it in a while and i've never been the rebel spy (laughs) i in my brain i'm like i've never been the rebel spy but i did see a tweet on my time hop like a couple days ago that was like six years ago i tweeted that i was a rebel spy I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I know your mom's been the rebel spy. Yeah, like, my mom's twice. been the rebel spy before, but I don't. I don't think I've ever been the rebel spy. And I was always like kind of salty about it. And yeah, I know. I've I like know. tried to trick the cast member into picking me to be the rebel spy too, and I don't know how to do. It. I've looked up how to become the rebel spy, but it's honestly random. But it does seem like the cast member picks kids over adults, which is fair. <laughs> whatever it's fine i'm just wearing a star wars hat and a star wars t-shirt like you don't have to pick me it's fine <laughs> it would make my fine. experience but like it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i'm real. i'm like ready to drop some cash on that overpriced t-shirt but it's fine <laughs> yeah they have obviously because it's disney and they're they love a good cash grab they have a t-shirt that says i was the rebel spy and a lot mm-hmm. of people buy it like it's really funny that a lot of people buy it you would definitely buy it we both would i know it would be when if we ever became the rebel spy because like that's one in a million (laughs) it feels like it it's like one in at least like 40 (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so the thing that's really cool is that caitlin and i actually got to go back in our first celebration in 2010 they had this like extra ticketed event at hollywood studios um which was a really cool event it was super fun there was like no one in the park um where they get you it was called the last tour to endor and it was like one last time to ride Star Tours before they closed it. And it's funny because they labeled this as like the last time to ride Star Tours. And then it closed like five months later rather than like the next day. <laughs> yeah. Last Tour to Ender is probably one of my favorite things we've ever done. Yeah, me too. It was so fun. It was like the best like four hours of celebration, like of being in Disney. Like it was amazing. There were like 300 people in the park in in Hollywood Studios. We we rode Tower of Terror 12 times in a row. Mm-hmm. And it was by ourselves too. We didn't have anyone yeah. in the car with us. There was no weight on 
literally anything. I think we rode Rock and Roller Coaster like six times. We won the Great Move. We did everything. Mm-hmm. And it was freaking amazing. Um, and we ended up in like one of the quote unquote last like batches that went through Star Tours. And like George Lucas was like four pods down from us or something like that. Yeah. I remember and I have this cool crazy. picture of like, you know, the back of uh, his head. I think I do have a, a picture of his back of his head, but him, I think there was like a whole car of like, you know, the character of Leia and uh, Chewbacca also right next to us. I have a picture of like snapping that. Yeah. And yeah. It's so cool. It was, it was a really, it was a really fun experience. I remember like tearing up when you said goodbye. Yeah, it was, um, it, that was so upsetting because I remember uh, last celebration they did, it wasn't called Last Door to Endor, it was called something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tickets were like double what they had been in 2010. Because in 2010, it was like $60. Yeah, it was this. like a, it was a doable and it was like, like extra yeah. excursion. Like we were, yeah. it was expensive, but it seemed like worth it for a small amount of people in a park that we really loved and like being able to do rides that we genuinely love yeah and then when we like when we saw that they were doing it for celebration orlando in 2016 um 2017 2016 2017 um in 2017 <laughs> we were like oh my god we, we got to do it because that was one of our favorite things from our last celebration and then when the tickets were like 150 dollars, we were like that's more than like the actual cost of celebration. <laughs> I know it was crazy. It Even was though it, it looked so fun, they it did. also like transformed Rock and Roller Coaster, which is this big like roller coaster in the dark, there to playing Star Wars music the entire time. Like that, I would want to go just for that in a weird way because I love that ride, but I've never been to anything that like doesn't overlay over it. Super cool. Yeah, yeah. It would it would have been great. It was disappointing that they upped the cost so much, though. Yeah. But back to Star Tours The Adventures Continue, I was so happy that they refreshed this ride. I had always felt like they needed a refresh. And it's also like I love the opening. um, There's a really great like intro video to talk about the safety. And they they had a CGI droid that was voiced by Alice and Janney. And Mm -hmm. um, they really like spiffed up even just around and inside of Star Tours and had some fun callbacks to the old Star Tours and including like, which is kind of awful, but they have like this broken down version of Rex, you know, the the, yeah. the old droid that, that piloted Star Tours. And I love that they have those kind of callbacks and it's really cool. My favorite memory of Star Tours is when we went on the new ride for the first time and Charlotte didn't know the script <laughs> for the ride. And because as Charlotte mentioned, she does memorize all of the ride scripts, like all of them. There's not one that she doesn't know. Like even the Tiki Room, you can quote that when we're in the Tiki Room. Oh, yeah, of course. It, Duh. It, <laughs> and it used to annoy me so much. And I remember standing in line for the new Star Tours and like the cycle comes up and they're starting the new script and you speak, but you speak incorrectly. And the look on your face was priceless. <laughs> And I died laughing. It was an amazing moment. And like you were just in utter shock for like two minutes. It was such a – it was a good feeling though. I was like – I remember being like this is so exciting that there's like new – some new – thing. I'm a huge fan of like new stuff in the parks. Like Disney World, Disneyland is never finished. Like Walt Disney like firmly believed that. And like all this change is good. 
change is good in Disney parks. And um, I don't know. I have a, a lot of thoughts about that. Um, I really love that moment, though. It was, it was like, a good. It was funny. It was like a reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> like finally. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to part two because this weekends. Yes. Let's talk about Star Wars weekends. All right. So welcome to part two where we're talking about Star Wars weekends. And if you've been around Sky Talkers for any amount of time, you know that this is a big part of our Star Wars experience growing up. Um, and we call it Sweekends. So <laughs> just get used to it. Um, but weekends started in 1997. And basically it was three to five weekends um, every year, like May through July, give or take here and there, um, of specially themed weekends in Disney World Hollywood Studio. And they would have special events, special guests, fireworks, the hyperspace hoopla, which was amazing. Um, you know, the five or first at a parade, celebrities were there. I remember Anthony Daniels did panels. There were like panels going on at this thing too. It was the best. The thing that was so great about Star Wars Weekends, and now, just to be clear, it doesn't exist anymore. They've they they canceled it in 2015. But something that was so great about this was it was like a mini celebration, mm-hmm. and it was not just a mini celebration, but like a celebration in the parks, and everyone that was there was for Star Wars, and. It was just so fun. And there was that thing that Caitlin mentioned, the hyperspace hoopla, which people really didn't like, which I didn't really realize that people didn't like until like later, (laughs) until I joined the fandom really. But I loved it. We We both both loved it. I have have burned CDs of the soundtracks of hyperspace hoopla that Charlotte would make for me. Yeah. So basically it's like this dance party with – in like a dance show with Star Wars characters. I'm sure you've seen the gifs online of Darth Vader, of like Boba Fett like dancing. Like that's all from Hyperspace Hoopla. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people would wait out for like an hour, an hour and a half before just to get like a good standing position to watch this thing. It was a huge thing. Remember, Caitlin? Like, Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, Snig and Oopla. They were so great. And they, they do like the whole parade of characters. And that's where that great line of, Kit Fisto, he never comes out. He never out. comes out. He never comes out. And he's just waving and smiling. So funny. And the thing, I loved it. I thought it was like peak Disney comedy, like them making fun of themselves. Like it was like really good Disney parks. Like, But people, I guess people had like a problem with it, like soiling the character. Um, which I totally see. I see how like <laughs> Darth Vader and Queen Amidala dancing to break your heart like might be like, what are you I'll doing to yeah, my beloved characters? But I thought mm-hmm. it was really funny. Or um <laughs> what was the one Ahsoka dance to? It was like tube top Ahsoka too. Uh, party uh, in the USA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean party in the USA? <laughs> 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 but guys, I just have to say it was really fun. Like it was, I had like such a good time, like dancing and like laughing and watching these things. Like I, they would come out on YouTube because it was the same every weekend. So there's five weekends of Star Star Wars weekends, and it, it would was, always it take was every every year. Yeah, yeah. So they changed and they updated the show every year, and it would take everything in me not to watch and like spoil myself the latest hyperspace hoopla for that year, and like mm-hmm. what theme they were going with. And one year they went with like hard rock classics, which yeah, was really they, fun. They did Michael Jackson too one year. Yeah, it was all really good. Like it was, good. It, it was really fun. And um, but Caitlin and I usually wouldn't go until like the third weekend, um, mm-hmm. so it was a lot to not spoil myself. 
And remember when they upgraded to the bigger stage too at like the center of the park because they used to do it like right outside of Star Tours um, and there was never enough room. But then they mm-hmm. moved it to like the center of the park um, and they had like this much bigger stage. It was a lot more intense. But uh, famously, Charlotte and I like hightailed it out of our ACTs to go to weekends and <laughs> watch the Clone Wars the entire way down to Florida. And that like really cemented our love for the Clone Wars and like weekends in general. Like, it's so weird because that trip really like solidified a lot of stuff. We talk about that a lot about mm-hmm. how like our love for the Clone Wars was really started when we got to Star Wars weekends that one year, mm-hmm. and it was only it only grew in our understanding of like the the major players basically in the Clone Wars. Like that's when we really like began to understand Dave Filoni's like impact like we really began to understand James Arnold Taylor and his many voices he would do a show there about his his voice acting which was like really impressive even Anthony Daniels and um that's where we really began to get to know Ashley Eckstein too and this was before her universe like I remember specifically her like announcing or talking about like coming out with her universe Mm -hmm. at Star Wars weekends and it was it wasn't until like we left that one trip to Star Wars weekends I remember being on the website when it was launching and it was just because she had talked about it at Star Wars weekends and I can't even really imagine a fandom without her universe at this point which is like kind of crazy Mm -hmm. but um, it, it everything kind of like came from that one trip for us, and I don't yeah. think we would have a. It's weird because I really don't think we'd have a podcast without Star Wars weekends in a weird way. I don't think we would either because it was like we were going to Star Wars weekends before we ever went to Celebration. Yeah. Um. So like you said, that was like a mini convention, and it was. I remember we were, we were like looking at the schedules and like, you know, trying to figure out how. We, and this is before we would drive too, so it was like begging our parents. <laughs> um, that's the one thing I like regret in our life is that we never got to go to Star Wars weekends by ourselves. Um, that would have been like so fun. That would have just been like peak Caitlin and Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, but like figuring out how to like actually get there and you know what weekend would be the best, how it would work with our schedules. I mean, the fact that like it still amazes me that we convinced our parents to like let us go right after taking the ACTs. I know. Like, literally they picked us up at my dad picked us up at the high school from our ACTs, like for college. <laughs> and we were like, all right, Disney. <laughs> that just like still i don't know how we like got that approved (laughs) me neither so great Um, it was it was um but i mean i think you're right like star wars weekends was just so important for like seeing all these people coming together and talking about star wars and like really having a better understanding of clone wars and how it fits in and we talk about this a lot about like the importance of clone wars and and just that it was something that like we could get into as people who became hardcore fans after the main saga was you know finished um (laughs) And so it's a big deal. And then, too, you know, like Ashley Eckstein and her universe. And I know that there are a lot of people there that don't really like her universe anymore or, or never did maybe. But kind of referencing our conversation in part one, where as like 12 and 13-year-old girls, there was nowhere for us to go to get Star Wars stuff. And then yeah. to have this like young woman who was out here talking about Star Wars really positively. She was a huge Disney fan. Um, Ashley Eckstein famously is obsessed with Disney. She's from Orlando. Her family works for Disney. She's a huge Alice in Wonderland fan. 
who's voicing one of our favorite characters and is like, I'm going to make Star Wars stuff for you and pointing at us. We were like, oh, my God. And we met her. Mm-hmm. And it was like – it was all these things like kind of all wrapped together. It was like, oh, we really do have a place in this fandom. It makes me kind of emotional yeah. even to think about. I know. Like even, even us like – going to star tours and spending all that time in tattooing traders like we couldn't buy any shirts that was like women's cut i don't mm-hmm. remember that at all no. i remember like buying like bigger like baggier shirts yeah yeah we had like we had we got those matching gray shirts yeah that had yes the... exactly and they were they were men's shirts oh yeah they definitely were um there was like nothing for a girl <laughs> no. and so like it was such a huge deal when her universe came out and it was i don't know it felt like this like megaphone like this spotlight totally. on female fans um mm-hmm. because at that point you know like Natalie Portman isn't super like proactive in the Star Wars community and this is like right before- by super proactive you mean not at all literally rejecting it it seemed yeah, like kind um <laughs> And then, like, we're still, like, a couple years out from, like, the renaissance of the original trilogy stars, like, coming back into the Star Wars fold. You know what I mean? Like, they were pretty Mm -hmm. quiet on that front for a while. So, like, there really weren't – like, Carrie Fisher wasn't, like, a big part of our fandom at that point. Like, she was, but, like, she physically wasn't in Star Wars, like, Well, she kind of was. She kind of was. She she was. She did come to Star Wars weekends. She did. But just, like, we didn't – we didn't cross over. Yeah, we were never there at the same time. And and other – and other Star Wars – stars did that's not to say they didn't but the clone wars people were there like every weekend i guess is what i'm saying so like they had a stronger presence it like didn't matter because we went on a different weekend every year um depending mm-hmm. on when our schedules let us and there were always star wars people there and like james Arnold taylor and ashley axine were always there too like they were the hosts of the weekends so they were there pretty much every weekend that i was on and mm-hmm. so they really were the strong presence um and like the forefront of being like Star Wars is great. Watch Clone Wars. Watch Star Wars. Her universe is coming. Girls like Star Wars, and we were like, oh my god, yes! Like in addition to the fact that the park was like basically totally taken over by um, Star Wars with yeah. like meet and greets and fireworks and all these things, it really was super cool that Disney would host these like pretty intellectual celebration style panels where they'd show behind the scenes stuff, mm-hmm. talk about what's to come and like reveal things. I remember there was a lot of like Q&A sessions that happened, yeah. which were, you know, it's just really surprising. Like I look back and I, I don't think I'd expect Disney World like now to do that. And they're not doing it right now. And it felt like, you know, our friend Savannah always talks about how much Star Wars weekends meant to her. And I feel like it's true about the people that like what had repeat trips to Star Wars weekends and made it like a part of their year, which I realized we're really lucky that we were able to do that. And not everyone gets this opportunity to do that, but it really did influence our fandom so much. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people agree that Star Wars weekends was super impactful on their love of Star Wars in general. Yeah. And I always think about like, we talked about how, Star Tours in a way was kind of our entry point if in if we could like pinpoint it it was probably one of our first like introductions to you know the world as a whole about Star Wars um I can't even imagine what it would be like as a kid going to Hollywood Studios and like happening upon all the Star Wars and like being like oh what's all this like this is super mm-hmm. cool or you know anything like that and I think that even just our experience as like teenagers going to Star Wars weekends was so impactful like I don't know. I feel like that we it, it, we can't be the only people who have the same story. 
No, I think you're right. Um, I think I think it's interesting. We we speculate a lot about people's different entry points into Star Wars. And I think it's it's kind of a fun conversation to think about weekends being someone's entry point into Star Wars of just having <laughs> to go to Disney World on the the weekend. Hyperspace hoopla. You just like as your and, first entry point. <laughs> I mean, whoa. <laughs> um, I want to know someone. I if you are listening to Sky Talkers and you were not a fan of Star Wars and happening across hyperspace hoopla or just attending a weekend by happenstance was your entry point into Star Wars and now you're a big Star Wars fan, please email us, skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at skytalkerspod. I don't care how you reach out to us. Please reach out to us. I want to know your story. <laughs> Me too. And if you guys need a little taste of hyperspace hoopla, watch it on YouTube. Oh, just like so good. check it out. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go as far as say it's good. It's it's really entertaining. It's really entertaining. It's good entertainment. <laughs> and you you may hate it. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, yeah that is okay. But, <laughs> but you need to visualize this. You it guys is. all do. Yeah. <laughs> so Charlotte didn't have a car for a while. I was the one who drove us around a lot in high school. And so I guess it's like gas payment you would make burn CDs <laughs> for us to listen to. And um, I still have like pretty much all of them. But every every after every weekend's. It was like, okay, I made the I made the playlist from Hyperspace Hoopla, put it on a CD, can't wait to listen to it in the car. <laughs> yeah. So it was, good. It was it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that kind of stuff. I I don't know. Star Wars Weekends. I'll, I'm going to put some photos on our website, by the way, of our time at Star Wars Weekends if you're interested. So you can check those out. Mm-hmm. We were younger then. <laughs> Much younger. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start talking about Galaxy's Edge because you are like the Galaxy's Edge guru. <laughs> I don't know about that, but let's go for it. Okay, welcome to part three where we're talking about Galaxy's Edge or as I still refer to it, Star Wars Land. <laughs> I think everyone does, right? I know. I was so – the thing is that that whole conversation really came out of around the same time that everyone was like the unnamed – untitled Han Solo movie and we all just wanted it to stay untitled Han Solo movie. Do you remember that joke? Project, yes. Yeah, Project. Uh, And I was one of those people with Star Wars Land. I was like, Star Wars Land just sounds so 70s. You know, just leave it as Star Wars Land. But um, Galaxy's Edge is a good one too, but I still want to refer to it as Star Wars Land. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want to say, I know that there's a lot of Galaxy's Edge haters out there, but I want to say that this has, like, been my dream since I was, like, 11, where I would draw up plans to have a Star Wars-themed theme park inside of Hollywood Studios, inside of Disney World, a separate theme park. (laughs) I even envisioned, like, rides. I had this, like, awesome idea, which I still think is a really good idea, of... (laughs) a ride based on Attack of the Clones where in the speeders on Coruscant. It's like, how cool would that be? be? So cool. <laughs> I know. But I love what their Disney is doing with Galaxy's Edge now. And I'm like totally on board. I can't wait to visit someday. Um, and it'll be so crowded. And I kind of just don't even care. Like, I'm just so excited about it. And I'm so excited about it because I've seen what Disney and Disney Imagineering can do to make it amazing. And basically, we all know (laughs) that Harry Potter has a presence now in Universal Studios. Harry Potter World, Harry Potter Land, that's what people refer to it as. And not like 
not unlike Star Caitlin referring to it as Star Wars land. Um, people still refer to Harry Potter world as Harry Potter world, even though it is a, com- a very compressed small land inside of both Islands of Adventure and Universal What is Studios. it called? The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> so it technically does have world in it. So I, I get it. But and oh, the thing is, is that it's, I think it's pertinent to bring this up because I don't think Star Wars land in Disney would exist without Harry Potter world success. I I feel like that kind of kills me. <laughs> I, well, it's true. It's it really drew so many people out of Disney parks to go to Universal. We have done it before. We've cho- I've done it twice. I've chosen to not go to Disney and go to Universal, which is like kind of sacrilege in my family to go visit Harry Potter. It brought so many people to that theme park that Disney was kind of overwhelmed by their losses, and they thought they could make it up with purchasing which is kind of hilarious if you kind of think back on it, by bringing in a different intellectual property into Animal Kingdom by working with James Cameron for Avatar. And they brought in Avatar World, which by itself is a really amazing land. It is like the ride is perfect. The secondary ride is not perfect, but good job. (laughs) But the, 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 the land itself is so immersive and so like geographically stunning that it really gives me so much hope that Galaxy's Edge is going to be great. Just kind of funny that like Disney thought they could offset and like balance this whole, you know, Harry Potter with um, Avatar, which is clearly not the case. But now obviously Disney has this like amazing IP under their belt, which is Star Wars. And Harry Potter world just keeps getting bigger, just being added to. So Disney basically, to be honest, had no choice but to build a massive, the biggest theme park addition they possibly can in history, in their history of expansions in Star Wars, which is the smartest choice they could have made. It's truly the most powerful IP. I think they've tried Marvel in Disneyland, but I think contractually they're not allowed to bring it to Orlando. So Star Wars is like the best answer. In I'm kind of glad. Yeah, me too. I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm not really a fan, so like, I I can't really speak to that. But I, there's something to me that's like super whimsical and magical about Star Wars that like isn't in the same way as like Marvel is at all. Mm-hmm. It's like Star Wars is fantasy. Marvel is not fantasy. So it it just kind of it works to me in in Disney parks. And maybe that's just like my own bias coming into it and that I don't know what a Disney park would look like without Star Wars at this point because it's been part of it as long as I've gone there. But I I find it really fun that they are basically starting from the ground up with this new land and um, like this, this interesting like storytelling aspect to it all. Um, and they're not like building a land that we're aware of. I mean, now we are, if you've read some of the books and some of the material that's come out of it, but when it was announced, it was this mysterious new land, this mysterious new location in Star Wars that we weren't aware of, but two. So are you excited for it, Caitlin? I am. I'm really excited for it, especially after going to Harry Potter. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. <laughs> you can say Harry Potter uh, World. <laughs> it's okay. I am allowing you to. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Because um, we 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 betrayed Disney once and went to Universal together. Actually, we've we've been to Universal twice together. Um, and it was an experience. Uh, and we only went to Harry Potter World because I had finished reading the Harry Potter books. Um, I didn't read Harry Potter until like three, four years ago. 
I guess that was four or five years ago we went now. Yeah. Um, and so we had some time and we went to Universal to see Harry Potter World. And it was good. Like it was – and that was when we knew that Star Wars World, Star Wars Land, Lord, Galaxy's Edge was coming. <laughs> and so I remember like walking into Harry Potter, Harry Potter World and kind of thinking about, okay – how impressive is this? This is really cool. Oh my God, Star Wars Land is going to be so much better. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. Because I think I think Harry Potter World – I mean, Harry Potter World is really cool. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. Um, but that being said, I think like the whole entry point into Diagon Alley was like the coolest thing in the world. I thought it was so clever. Um, the fact that you like go in – you know, it just looks like a storefront. It looks like nothing. It works so well. And like the wine stuff is cool, kind of gimmicky, but you know that like kids love it. Um, I think picking out the wand, that's a really cool experience. But like where you stand mm-hmm. in front of the window and like swirl the wind your machine wand or, happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little gimmicky. But again, I know I'm sure like lots of kids love that. And it's just like it's just like a kid using the force in, in Star Wars Land. So I'm not going to. Yeah hate on that aspect of it but as an adult it's like I can see that moving even when I'm not standing there (laughs) well the thing that's so so cool about Universal and their pursuit of Harry Potter world was the fact that they were really adamant to make sure that everything like Hogsmeade and Hogwarts like it all felt like size appropriate it wasn't this giant thing that um, felt like a theme park. They really wanted it to feel like completely immersive where mm-hmm. you walk into the shops in Hogsmeade and they're small, they're cramped, there's people like everywhere. But yeah. it is – it's like you're in a small town in England. Yeah. And it's it's really small and like it's supposed to be because that's how it was in the movie. Yeah. I think the most impressive thing for me was the train. I thought like the fact that you can get on the Hogwarts Express is just – amazing um and then the i hate that you have to pay for two parks to do it <laughs> like the worst money grab ever it's the worst <laughs> meanest money grab ever but i really like the train and then of course the hogwarts is just spectacular yeah it's great it's in the ride is awesome and completely innovative. So just to, we're talking about this because I think it's important to talk about Harry Potter World in relation to Star Wars because they're really like truly competing. They designed mm-hmm. a whole new design uh, ride aspect, which Caitlin didn't get to ride, which was like really disappointing for... Yeah, I, I just got to walk through Hogwarts. I didn't actually get to ride the Hogwarts yeah, ride. Yeah, and those who have been on that ride know how cool it is. It's like it's it's like nothing you've ever been on. It's like half roller coaster, half... I don't know. It's It's a thrill ride. And I think that Star Wars knows that they have to compete with that ride tech and make it better. They really mm-hmm. went above and beyond with Avatar in Animal Kingdom. And that is an awesome ride, too. And that is also really immersive in its own way. But it's not necessarily a super thrill ride. And I wonder how they're going to do it in Galaxy's Edge now. And everything that we've heard, so there's going to be two rides in Galaxy's Edge now. Um, A flight simulator for the Millennium Falcon, which is, I think it holds like six to eight people and you each have controls and everything. And it's like apparently uh, size accurate, which I think is really cool. Um, You'll get to walk through the Millennium Falcon. Everything is to size and to scale which is really rare for disney and i just want i need to like mention this because everything is 
not to scale in Disney. Like they're, they've mastered the art of you look up at something and it looks like it's really high, but it's actually really small. And it's just like forced perspective is what it's called. And, um, the fact that Disney's not going that route at all with Star Wars Land and like bringing in like full size X wings, like apparently a Y wing is coming too, like the oh full size like um, so Millennium Falcon, <laughs> right? Like literally uh, the full size ATAT. Like oh God, all these things have been spotted and or have been in like the the promotional artwork, and it's like it's kind of mind blowing that these are all going to be real and life size. <laughs> And I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> I know. It's 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 going to be a lot. Yeah. What I'm excited for with Star Wars Land is just how innovative it is going to be. Because um, when we were in Universal, the the rides were great. And like so we were there when the Gringotts Bank ride opened. And that ride was really great. And a lot of the rides in Universal are really great. But they get to be like kind of repetitive, like the whole screen ride with like the three glasses and like, you don't say i don't say <laughs> there's so many screens in universal guys <laughs> like that day in universal i got the worst headache of my life i like had to sit down and cry for like 30 minutes <laughs> it was awful so bad. it was really bad universal beat us and we haven't been back since um that being said like those ri- those rides were really great and like the the bank one with the Gringotts, I mean, it was incredible. And like the whole setting of it was crazy. Like you talk about the to scale aspect of it and that ride, that whole setup of that ride was to scale and it's just amazing. But what I'm looking forward to with Disney is that Disney is just, Disney can do it better. (laughs) I know. They can do (laughs) everything better. That's the thing. It's like, wow, like Harry Potter World was so impressive. Oh my God, Disney is going to blow them out of the water. Everyone that's even talked about like the behind the scenes too have like the whispers and the rumors have all talked about how large the place is, which mm-hmm. is crazy. So I, we met, we mentioned that how small like Harry Potter kind of feels, but if if people are saying how big the Star Wars are and they, they know it, they're like already t- doing things to cut capacity or like expand capacity. Mm-hmm. But it's so crazy to even think about. If we're we're in for something in for something. I mean, I think that's kind of funny because that's part of like the attraction of Harry Potter World is that it's like tiny and cramped because like you mentioned, that's what it would be in real life. So you've got that realistic element. But then Disney is like, well, haha, we've got Star Wars, which is literally a galaxy. So like, let's make it big. <laughs> Not only that, they're like, we can create a whole new land. Mm-hmm. Something that like Star Wars has never even featured in the movies and <laughs> people are still going to come. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we haven't even like touched on the hotel component of it oh my God, as I well. I mean, it's just – it's going to be bananas. And I'm really excited too for the food as well because I did not have a great experience with the food in Harry Potter World. It was a real big letdown. And the and food so, in Disney is just so much better to begin with anyway. Like in general. And so like, I mean, I can't wait to order blue milk. We definitely will. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be a cantina, and I'm sure there's going to be some, some amazing audio animatronics. I'm so excited, guys. But the cool the, – the, they say that the the second ride – so we'd mentioned the Millennium Falcon Simulator that's all to scale, which I think is going to be really fun. And for a while, they were, like, pumping up that ride. But now I realize that's actually, like, the B attraction. And I think the A attraction really is the Rise of the Resistance, which I think – Galaxy's as t- Edge takes place like after The Last Jedi and before Episode Nine, which is actually really interesting because it's apparently like extremely canon compliant. So 
the quote that I have is, it's the most epic attraction we've ever, you, you've ever experienced. Um, and you come face to face with Kylo Ren. I don't know about you, Caitlin, but I can't wait to come face to face with Kylo Ren. I'm ready to reach out my hand, pull that boy across the galaxy, <laughs> and go from there. <laughs> Same. I don't want to give too much away in terms of spoilers, but everything I've read about this attraction, like, I truly cannot wait. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much better than Harry Potter. <laughs> So, <laughs> and it's going to be so much better than Avatar too, which is like what they need. The fact that they're developing new tech, and that, which they didn't really for Avatar, like they, it's a similar ride concept as their another ride of theirs in Epcot called Soren. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other ride that they had in Avatar is a slow moving boat ride, like the Pirates of the Caribbean. So, they're the new technology for the both the Millennium Falcon and Rise of the Resistance is really, really awesome. And I'm so happy that they're doing this because it really shows that they're putting in like the time and the effort and Imagineering is not cutting any corners here, which they are known to do. And let me tell you, they are known to do that. <laughs> the other cool thing about it is that it'll they're supposed to have like immersion, like almost Westworld-esque, which is kind of alarming. It's kind of scary, but I'm really excited about Especially it. Especially when the whole point of Westworld is like, this looks so cool, slash now it kills you. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But apparently like, you're supposed to be able to walk into Star Wars land and th- someone can approach you with like a bounty hunter type mission or a rebellion mission, re- resistance mission, something like that. And you will have to complete it. Or there's maybe some component that, that comes into play when you're on the ride. I don't know. I, I find this so fun. I can't wait to be chosen. <laughs> <laughs> you hope you're chosen. I better be chosen. What if if I'm not chosen... <laughs> Never got. What am I doing wrong? Never got your letter to Hogwarts. <laughs> never became the the rebel spy. Spy. Never, never chosen, chosen for a bounty hunter mission. Never, never, never got a bounty on my head. Gosh darn it. Ugh. The thing is also is that they're like Caitlin mentioned this. The hotel that they're attaching in Disney World, not in Disneyland, but the hotel is also supposed to be complete immersion. And you stay for like two or three nights at some ridiculous cost. That I'm never going to be able to do. But you basically have (laughs) – you will be on like a three-day-long mission, like those missions that I mentioned before. It's all immersive immersive, and you're totally steeped into this world and the the hotel's themed like space and Star Wars, like you're on like a ship and your windows are like (laughs) – ships i guess i don't know the galaxy so cool the galaxy yes you open your window and you see stars or like a cruiser going by Uh, i just think it's so cool i think it's cool too i think that's something we have to talk about though is the cost barrier of it because i mean we're talking about like a hotel for three days like in disney the prime experience like it's going to be like attached to the park obviously plus the park admission itself which as we've brought up is a lot more expensive now than it was in the past and that this is canon compliant um like star wars has always been relatively accessible for most people you know like if you want to get out on star wars like the core of star wars is films and so Mm -hmm. you can buy those films like that's not a lot to ask of your fans to buy films um you know like 20 dollars a pop or you get the you know Whatever. That's not an expensive investment. And that's really all you need to get started in the Star Wars world and to be considered a big fan. You know what I mean? 
or mm-hmm. you can do the books or you can do the movies, like whatever it is. Like those kinds of things aren't super expensive when, you know, they're on their own. Whereas if you're like a big fan like us and you're buying everything, <laughs> like then it becomes a little bit more pricey. But still like books and movies and TV shows, you're still in like your mid-range costs, you know, if you're kind of analyzing the cost of being a fan. Um, whereas something like this though is canon compliant has a lot of tie-ins of like those novels and stuff like that but for some people is going to be too expensive and I don't know like how else I don't know I I think it's an important conversation because I don't know just kind of talking about like how like affording to be a fan or like that there's this element that if you're a big fan you might not be able to afford to go to um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting conversation that people have been talking about a lot online, and I don't like. I don't know what to think about it. It's it's Star Wars is like true luxury product, and I don't I don't know what to think about it either. And I know that Caitlin and I are so incredibly fortunate that we've like grown up essentially in Disney World, and I know a lot of California kids like can feel the same about Disneyland and everything. And I am lucky enough to say that I know there will be a time that I will visit Disney in the future. But I know that's not the case for so many people that like just one trip is is just it's, it's so even, much. It's, I mean, it's out of the question. Even right right now, like when we were younger, it was so much cheaper. It was always a splurge. It's a wonderful vacation. But the prices now are astronomical. A bottle of water costs like five bucks. It's ridiculous. You know, the Star Wars brand is really pumping this up, as they should, because it's something they should be proud about. Like, it's it's a really super cool. It's a great stamp on a piece of history, which is the Disney Parks history. It's like Americana. But it is really problematic at the price cost and the price barrier for so many people. It is it's truly inaccessible. And how did Harry Potter like was this something was this discussion kind of happening in the Harry Potter world? Harry Potter fandom? Yeah, I think that people have made like the pilgrimage and I think it is a pilgrimage in all senses of the word to go to Harry Potter world for Harry Potter fans in the fact that it's a huge cost investment. And not to mention that they, when they added the second part of Harry Potter world, they added it to a different theme park entirely and connected them. So you have to buy two tickets to two parks. And I remember that being like a huge thing, mm-hmm. a huge conversation about like how dare they exploit their fan base like that. Um, we should boycott. Like, I can't believe they would do that. But of course they did it anyway. And it made made them so much money. It's it's just it's so hard with the business, I feel like. Um, but the, the weird thing about it is that you can look at the whole like development of stories around Batu and Galaxy's Edge like two ways. You can totally look at it as I can't believe they're like kind of shoving all this story canon essentially in my face as a fan for for me who probably can't go right i will never in my life be able to afford to go Mm -hmm. and i don't why should i read these books about galaxy's edge Mm -hmm. if i'm never going to be able to go and there's the other side that's like i am never going to be able to go so it's really cool that i get to be a part of this cultural phenomenon i suppose by having this like canon supplementation and I'm able to read these books, which is way more accessible for me than a $100 a day ticket to a theme park. I think that those are like 
there's there's so many arguments on both sides. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's easier said than done. <laughs> to be like, exactly. I guess I'll read this book, and that will compensate for not being able to go. <laughs> I know, and it's it's not it's not fair, and I I can't. I don't see myself ever <laughs> thinking that way. I think that's it's awful. I feel like they should lower the prices. The ticket prices should not be higher than a hundred dollars. It drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's such an interesting conversation because a big part. I think a big part of the conversation around Galaxy's Edge, at least right now, is like the number of canon tie-ins that are coming into it. And it's like, oh, not only is it. Uh, not only is there a price barrier to it now, but like now there's like if I want to be keeping up with all of this Star Wars stuff, now I have to be reading like kind of that mentality that we just talked about. Like now I have to be reading books about a place I can't even go to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and there's like a frustration there, which I I totally get. But then at the same time, it's like this is what is putting Galaxy's Edge over the edge. Um, that's taking it <laughs> up a notch is the fact that you know, we, I mean, we just spent 10 minutes being like, wow, it's going to be so much better than Harry Potter world. And it's not only Mm -hmm. because of the technology that's being created here, but it's because it does fit into the larger world. And like, so does Diagon Alley, of course. And like, it's Diagon Alley and Hogwarts and stuff like that. But it's all just a replica of what you see in the movie. Whereas Galaxy's Edge is a continuation. And that makes it so much different and so much better, <laughs> which is weird that we're kind of praising and critiquing the thing, like what it is. Um, and if it wasn't canon compliant, like if it – I mean, like I guess could you imagine like if it was just a replica? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to think. Like would it have been better? Would it have kind of lessened the blow for those who know that they won't be able to go if it was – um, you're walking around Naboo. I still think the want would want would be there, but maybe the I don't know. I don't know. It just it. I I I struggle with this a lot. I'm gonna yeah, be honest. Me too, because I want to save up money to go, and yeah. I feel like everyone does. But like I'm in a position where no, I definitely can't afford it now. But to save up for it for me is something that is feasible because it's just me. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't have, like, a a whole family or, like, kids who are into Star Wars. Like, oh, my God. Like, (laughs) to have, like, a family of four trying to plan a trip to Disney from, like, anywhere that's not Georgia. Like, I mean, the fact that we grew up in Georgia, which is just, like, right above, like, a straight shot down to Disney World a couple hours and you're there. Like, anywhere else, though, you're looking at, like, a long time in the car with children or plane tickets, like, on top of your other tickets. It's just – And then your hotels. It's just – Yeah. And your meals. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Um, but I know that like – I don't know. It's – a replica would feel – like to have a replica of like Naboo or, um, or even like the Death Star or, you know, some A New Hope set or something like that would feel really cool. But it would just kind of be the same as Harry Potter World. Yeah. If it was like a hodgepodge a bunch of a bunch of different stuff, I don't think that it would have had the Disney stamp on it. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting is that there has been all this criticism of like, why are they developing all these like extreme backstories for Galaxy's Edge? Like, this seems a little overkill. Like, there was that. There's all these book announcements. I think it was last week about 
um, and that was like a big deal. It felt like on Star Wars Twitter about the new books that are coming out, new comics, like a bunch of supplemental material for Galaxy's Edge, like themed under the Galaxy's Edge umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because the storytelling. And I'm not sure a lot of people even realize this happens for every new Disney attraction. Disney has a team of people they call Imagineers who develop attractions, spend like maybe 10 years developing and hammering out a story section for each attraction. So like even like Expedition Everest, like they had people go and live in Nepal and take back artifacts and like Mm – you know, make sure that they were replicating it to this right way. And then when you go on Expedition Everest, you have this like amazing story element where you have like a Sherpa and you're being taken up the the mountain and everything goes awry. But why is it going awry? Here we we will present and curate a whole museum collection of why everything will go awry because they honor the Yeti. And here's this whole like story about all the encounters that people have had to the Yeti. And I I think that people don't even realize that how much storytelling goes into Disney World and Disneyland and all these Disney attractions. Even the Haunted Mansion, each ghost there has their own elaborate backstory. It's just like Star Wars in the fact that, you know, we have these visual dictionaries that give us all these like ridiculous backstories that everyone knows, right? Or like wants to know. If you wanted to know something about that one character in the background, like you can find out basically at least a paragraph of information about who they are mm-hmm. and what they like and what their clothes are like. Disney does the same thing. And the fact that they are expanding it for Star Wars so it's both canon compliant and available for you to read, it's interesting. It's an interesting tactic. And it's I think it's new to the Star Wars fandom. But it, I think it is something to note the fact that Disney does develop, heavily develop stories for each of their attractions, each of their lands. Like even Big Thunder Mountain Railroad has an elaborate mining story. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like certain certain characters or even in Disneyland Paris, like the newer lands have um, in newer theme parks like Tokyo Disneyland and Shanghai, they all have these elaborate backstories that are like almost broadly over the land. And I think that Disney has taken that concept that has worked so well in especially in the recent years and have applied that as like a theming. And now with the books and for Star Wars, they are able to kind of get that material out to people. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, given the like the minutia that goes into Star Wars, I think we would all honestly be really surprised if we were if Disney was creating this new world, and then there wasn't anything about it. We'd all be like, "Well, what the heck?" <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah. I think we would too. We'd be like, "Oh, I want to." I think we'd go to the park and be like, "Well, I want to know more about where I am right now." Yeah, like, like their first order, us doing a podcast episode. Well, they've put us with first order troopers, but like. Where the heck is Batu? I don't know. Like, like where I, are we? Who I even need cares? More sense of play yeah, here, please. <laughs> exactly. We we would be like that, we or would. we'd read about it from our homes, and we wouldn't go, and we'd be like, "What does it all mean? Like, why does it even exist?" Yeah, it's just a replica. So I I just don't think there's an easy answer to this like question of accessibility or whether or not they should or shouldn't be producing all these books and comics and everything. I think the easy answer for me is I think the more storytelling, the better. And like yeah. if if what we're going to see in Star Wars land is going to relate to our main story, which I think we know it will as we heard that Kylo Ren is going to be a part of it, right? 
And even Hondo is going to be a part of the Millennium Falcon thing. I'm so ready for that too. Like Hondo, so good. It'll be so funny. And all of that, like I want to know why. And I'm happy that they're developing that. And I think even um, story group member Matt Martin has been working really hard on this so that everything kind of like irons out. And maybe we'll see Batu in episode nine. Like who knows, you know? Yeah, who knows? I think it's one of those things with like the storytelling element and the tie-ins. It's kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, There are always going to be good and bad reasons to have those kinds of elements. But I think what you pointed out is like spot on that Disney has been doing this. It's just been a little bit more under the radar for their rides, but it's all there. Um, And it's all been there too. It's not like things that Disney has been adding on to like a ride like the Haunted Mansion. Like that those stories have been there from the inception of the ride um and the same is true for like tower of terror and like i, I doesn't the, the toy story mania has one too like a, yeah they all do they, like all, they do. all have an elaborate story element i remember that, like, learning about the toy story one though i can't remember what it is but i remember learning it's like about- you are transported the moment you go through that door into andy charlotte's like i have it let me tell you Andy's like toy chest, so all his games and everything. But you were like small, like a toy, and that's why you're able to like use the mechanisms mm. the same the same way the toys around you are too. Hmm. But it's it, it's all those things where that's a small one. Like you mentioned the Toy Story one, like that one's not really a good storytelling element. Like there's much better w- ones. Like the the Expedition Everest one, I think, is a yeah, good example. That one one good. I brought up them literally curating a museum <laughs> about the yeti in order to establish that you will encounter a yeti and like why that even matters or why you should even care um yeah i don't know i feel like and even avatar you know jenny nicholson who is a great youtuber if you guys follow her i think there's a, quite a bit of overlap in our listeners and jenny's <laughs> um I I feel like she did a video about Avatar Land and Avatar Land even has and the video is like an hour and a half guys <laughs> but Avatar Land even has this like extreme backstory because apparently that land is supposed to take place like 400 years after the movie Avatar. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if you knew this. Caitlin. Yeah. So they've because Animal Kingdom is like an ecological park, like it's it's a zoo essentially, bringing in like this powerful IP as Avatar doesn't really make a lot of sense as it's like an alien, you know, sci-fi movie into basically a real life zoo. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. But the way that they've structured it is Avatar also has that like underlying environmental message. They've structured it so that now like in the future, they've transformed what we saw in that movie into this like ecological park similar to Animal Kingdom. But all that there, all that story knowledge is there. And the cast members there are also very knowledgeable about this. So they know the history of the land almost as if it were canon and they're living that experience of the fact that everything that happened in that movie is like 400 years ago. So I wonder if like in Star Wars land in Hollywood studios and Disneyland, if you go up to a cast member, what sort of history will they be briefed on and what sort of like canon compliancy matters to them in order to like make sure that they're airtight in their storytelling. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really unique to Disney. And I think, Harry Potter is like the first step that Universal has ever done into that sort of immersion. Mm -hmm. But it's something that Disney has done perfectly forever. (laughs) And, (laughs) and it's so it's just like works so well with Star Wars. It's something that has such a rich like backstory that, yeah, I'm so excited. I think it's, if you can't tell. 
I think it's abundantly clear that we prefer Disney to Universal. <laughs> I know. And Star Wars to Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Harry Potter, though. So Yeah. But I, I, Star Wars is I kind obviously. of like Harry Potter, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else you want to add about the Disney parks and Galaxy's Edge? Well, I'm really excited for this to be someone else's entry into Star Wars, mm-hmm. the new land. I think that we talked about Star Tours, and that was a small introduction, but something so immers- immersive. Like, I can't imagine being like a six year old girl and being asked to, you know, carry out some really intense rebel mission wow. and then not having seen Star Wars at all and then coming back and like watching the movies. Like, that would be so amazing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It would be, it will be. And all that kind of – you spend a lot of time in that park, and we're just creating more Star Wars fans, which is really good for their business, but it's also really just heartwarming because I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that will be great to kind of see kids, like see videos of kids in Star Wars land and Galaxy's Edge. That's going to be really fun. I can't wait. I can't wait to see kids like piloting the Falcon and Mm, loving that. My heart. My Star Wars heart is already bursting. (laughs) So much. So much. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode all about Disney World and Star Wars and where and how they intersect. This is a really fun episode. Let us know your thoughts all about um, Star Wars and Disney, especially if you've been to Sweekends. I want to hear your Sweekends memories. That's what I'm really invested in right now because our conversation got me super nostalgic for Sweekends. Um, <laughs> but you can find us online at skytalkers.com or on Twitter at skytalkerspod or our personal handles at Caitlin Plusher and at Clarity. And if you like what you heard, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It would really help us out and help more people find our show. Yes. And I want to thank our amazing patrons, Jason, Amy, Joanna, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Tracy, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, Kate, Ewan, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Catherine, Manny, Ira Bell, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpa Raru, Patrick, James, Hamsa, from a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, the Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Jordan, Molly, Aaron, Casey, Megan, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Oh my God, I forgot to do my Mickey impression. All right, here it goes, guys. I'm Are you ready? ready. <laughs> oh boy. Was that good? Should I do it again? It was good. It was so good. Okay. <laughs> I thought Mickey was had come to visit me. Did he? Oh, yeah. that was not good. I'm not doing that one. <laughs> Didn't round out the O right. <laughs> the same way. <laughs> All right. Okay. May the force be with you. Mickey may too. the force be with you.
Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.